0: My is the babe. babe. Babe, with the power. Power? power, of voodoo. Do you? you do. What? My is the babe. <laughs> oh, A goblin babe.
1: <laughs> well, I'm trying to work out how to turn off my, how to take off my dressing gown without spilling one bag of tea in my balls. I think I did it.
0: You truly are the protector of the golden child.
1: (laughs) You truly are awake (laughs) very, very, very early. This is like going to bed on some nights, you know, back in the party. (laughs) Yeah. This is the classic. You sit, you take, you get to bed. You sneak into the bedroom. You take down your trousers. Your wife stirs in bed, and you pull the trousers back up. And you go right off to work, nice <laughs> no. <Sheppy>,
0: uh, and amazing. <laughs> amazing! It's lovely
1: to see you.
0: We better get on with it, and I better say welcome to Shoulders of Giants, and I better say I'm Jimmy, and you better say
1: hello. I'm Sheppy. Uh, very tasty very nice quick aside jimmy because you know we've got time to burn i'll ask you this not to date everything but do you know i mean now actually it's a different date for you but here do you know the significance of the 23rd
0: no man tell me tell me
1: well let me ask you this do you know the significance of the 22nd
0: oh god uh no i'm sorry think
1: about clint eastwood think about john Malkovich. Think about, that's not going to happen.
0: I'm so sorry. I haven't even had a glass of water this morning. There's nothing <laughs> here in the hotel room, let alone a coffee, to be ready for this, not like, oh, So, 22nd I don't... of November 1963
1: was Kennedy's assassination, cool. and the 23rd of November 1963 was the first episode of Doctor Who, the un- unearthly Child, And they had to repeat the first episode the BBC did the next week again because no one watched it because everyone was watching the news because the day before Kennedy had been shot mm. so there you are so today is Doctor Who day is, uh, is my
0: that's nice saying. do we know how many years that is that must be 67 where are we 65 59
1: old son it's 59,
0: 59. Oh, to next year right
1: next year will be the biggie
0: nice and god I have not seen in the line of fire since we saw in the cinema by the way as a quick question I don't know what that was a about.
1: really good summer. That was the summer of '93. That was Jurassic Park. That was Groundhog Day. That was Cliffhanger. That was the year we no one saw Last Action Hero. That was In the Line of Fire. Yeah, great summer. <laughs> Shortly <laughs> well, followed well, up into the autumn with Demolition Man. What a fucking year!
0: What a year! All that, all that IP that was sort of new as big pole blockbusters, you know different ideas yeah. so, so, Jimmy
1: um, before you carry on there's something and we've known each other you and I we have known each other a long long time such a long time many many years here we are blathering on about the summer of 1993 like a couple of old fucks but there is something that has been on my mind since the earliest of days and now now Jimmy is the time I'm going to ask you this are you ready? Because this, this has been such a long time coming.
0: Jimmy! I before you ask me, like, I love when you get so excited, you're now turns into Arnie as well, just to be clear. Like, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. you
1: always know that that's the benchmark, that you you can't try and get to. You can only hope, you know, one day as an abstract, you might reach that level.
0: Please. Jimmy, I'm, <laughs> I'm not ready, but... Jam
1: Bond! The Jamster! Oh Where's the Jam? What is Shoulders of Giants, Jimmy? What is this podcast all about? Because it has been weighing on
0: me. This podcast, Sheppy, is the What If podcast for movies, sequels and prequels and TV sequels and prequels and anything sequels and prequels, really, not that we've necessarily explored outside those mediums, but that is us, Sheppy, and uh, we're a celebratory uh, podcast and try to stand on the shoulders of these great artists and build on their IP and have lots of fun. So that's uh,
1: Absolutely. Uh, Sometimes I think you're taking the IP. That's on a t-shirt. <laughs> you can have that. That's a freebie. So, so Jimmy, yes, you were getting to it earlier. Um, I set this one. It's from the 80s. It's a sequel to a film from 1986. Uh, what is the film that I set for this week?
0: Shep, we you set Labyrinth. <laughs> uh,
1: yes, Labyrinth, directed by Jim Henson. Uh, the concept by him produced by George Lucas, who apparently didn't want to do any uh, publicity or interviews for the film because he didn't want to detract from Henson, which I dig. I just want to stay at home, but good for him. Um, and written, the final draft and the, uh, was uh, Terry Jones, um, who's wonderful. And Terry Jones, of course, uh, from, from, I must say Blackadder, from Monty Python. But there you go, I never even thought about that. Two snakes. So, Apparently Terry Jones was brought on to do Labyrinth um, and then he was taken off it and other people came in but it lost its specific humour so then Terry Jones was brought back in and he sort of put it back together but he did have a totally different structure for the film but he was sort of stuck with the structure that he was left with. But but that is to say Terry Jones wrote it and that's wonderful.
0: It's very funny. It's very funny in certain moments. Uh, That was really nice to know. I didn't know that so that's great.
1: And it's clever wordplay and all sorts. Um, Jimmy, so uh, anticipating fully that the answer is quote unquote about 20 years ago, when was the last time you saw Labyrinth?
0: Well, as the crow flies and we speak, Sheppy, the last time I saw Labyrinth was about four days ago. (laughs) Nice. But before that, um, God, Bloody nose. I would say I give it thirty plus to be honest. I'd give it thirty plus. Uh, I saw it in the cinema originally, though. Very. Oh, originally. that's great. Did you? Do that? Did you see no,
1: it? I did not. No. Okay. Where were you? Um, uh, which cinema?
0: Oh, it would have been like probably Odeon or something like that. You know, this is you know just pre coming down south <laughs> out of London. <laughs> the, the, yeah, coming yeah. south
1: out of London. Think about that. <laughs> <laughs> but yes.
0: It might have been the last thing, you know. Your last days as
1: a (laughs) northerner. Yeah. Who did you see it with?
0: Uh, I saw it with my then best chum, Eddie Wardlaw. uh... Never
1: been more furious, (laughs) never been more jealous, (laughs) seething, emerald over here.
0: Yeah. I I think
1: I've heard about Eddie in previous uh, episodes, actually. So you and your bestie, Eddie, the Ed.
0: Yeah. Uh yeah, we went and watched it and it was wonderful and I thoroughly enjoyed it and remember loving it. Were you it. with um,
1: your mum or his mum or anyone's mum? Uh
0: must have been his, I think. My mum had just had maybe appropriately enough my little brother Eddie another Eddie mm. and uh unfortunately I, I was too young to be left at home to try and look after him.
1: But you uh, did sell there. him years later to a <laughs> goblin king. Yes. Sold him? the coin mind you so let's not forget <laughs> that but yeah so that's nice 86 absolutely that's lovely
0: it's one of the fun you remember
1: watching it do you remember the experience of seeing it at the flickers
0: i do man the bit i remember mostly is the the bit in the tunnel with the um you know the the kind of the it's sort of it's like the Raiders of the lost ark-esque isn't it The kind of being chased through the tunnel by that sort of contraption that's got a lot of big parts <laughs> and then there's some goblins in the back like moving the parts. Um, and uh, yeah I, I remember that really vividly I remember dance magic dance of course who doesn't and uh, who doesn't tap a foot at that and it's one oh, of ones the ones i really who I, doesn't
1: toss a baby at that number
0: <laughs> it's one of the ones where I really kind of remember the TV spots for it for some reason I, I sort of oh. can can remember like I don't know whether I'm misremembering, but Bowie and Connolly on Saturday Superstore and stuff, promoting it, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. that's
1: great. Oh, how wonderful. I heard Connolly say once um, that she, her experience was she just went from scene to scene, day by day, you know, sort of like, no idea what was going on, and just like bouncing around, like, now stand here and say that, and here's David Bowie, you know? And I've seen behind the scenes footage of that ballroom dance. And, you know, who wouldn't be lost in the eyes of Bowie? And a uh, 16 oh. or so, 15-year-old Connolly certainly was. Um, so that's nice. And good old uh, good old Bowie, good old his tights and good old his bulge. And what a wig. Oh,
0: what a wig. I'm so, so, we'll get there in a minute, obviously, but I just want to say I'm so fascinated. This one perhaps the most ever as to where you've gone with your sequel in terms of, mm. you know, now then, wherever, I'm very interested in yeah. Shopee, uh, but anyway, we'll get, we'll get to that in a minute. When did you first see it, all Bean?
1: Well, it, I mean, no, I didn't see it at the cinema, unless I've got a total blank spot, but I really don't think so, I would remember, but I did see it very, very early. I honestly don't remember if I rented it out or if anyone rented it out. I don't remember the first time I saw Labyrinth, actually, it's a real blank spot, um, but it was, always seems to have been there. And I did watch it when I was, I think, an appropriate age for it Um, and then I continued to watch it. I don't think there was ever like a really, I don't think so, a really protracted length of time where I never saw it. And by that, I mean maybe seven years without seeing it at some point in the 90s, perhaps. But I saw it in the 80s and I saw it when I went to university. There was a whole long story that I won't get into, but I ended up really randomly with some people renting out some random films in a random blockbuster and a random car park in a random area of South Wales because we were stuck there. Like, well, let's just rent out these films. it doesn't make sense. I ended up, someone got the game and I got Labyrinth and someone, I don't remember what the third one was. And um, that version we watched when we got back home eventually and there were extras on the DVD and there was a lot of stuff that I remember very clearly, even though now this is like a really long time ago. But anyway, that was great and I remember very clearly that experience and after that you know I, I've got it on DVD here I've had it on DVD for ages I had it on videotaped on TV back in the day I, don't, I never owned it bought from WH Smith but yeah so so I yeah I've been watching it every five years roughly really I was but it's funny, I, the most specific memory of my youth of watching it is that time at university. And that's not deep childhood. <laughs> you know, I was like 20, 21. So it's really not deep childhood. But I, but I got it deliberately because it was very nostalgic and I did watch it. But I really don't remember the first time. But I watched it possibly, I'm sure, unless ITV or BBC One got it really early. I think it was BBC One, the version I had. And they got it like two years after, which doesn't seem likely in the 80s. Other than that, um, I must have went to that, but I don't.
0: I have a theory, which is that I think it might have been a movie which was wheeled out on the science TV and video recorder into the assembly hall one Magical Christmas afternoon when we thought we were going to have little science lesson, and little <laughs> Jimmy and little Sheppy suddenly had labyrinth to watch for two hours for the afternoon because it was yeah. nearly Christmas time, and I might have elbowed you in the ribs and said, "Oi, <laughs> this one's good in it. Don't worry." Enjoy it. you know, I think it might have be been one That's, of those. I'd cool forgotten you
1: were movies. Tucker Jenkins, but yes. <laughs> Well, um, look, I'm glad you brought that up. Do you actually remember what she did at school? Because I do. And I had—I was yeah. actually going to mention it. I'd made a note of it in case I, I forgot.
0: It was in the peripherals. I've not really. It's the first time it occurred to me. Well,
1: <laughs> at the risk of damaging my flawless reputation, I'll share with you what I recount in terms of what I remember, which is to say it was Mrs. Mackenzie's year. And we were upstairs in that funny room. And it was the class. And Yes, for whatever reason, I don't remember it being Christmas, but for whatever reason, as a special treat, we were going to be watching Labyrinth. I think the teachers were going off to get drunk or something. So, it was video pure, you know, wheeling in the TV with the video underneath. Maybe a top loader, having to get Mr. Clark upstairs to do it because they couldn't do it themselves. Classic. Um,
0: It's it's true.
1: Oh, god damn. He became headmaster. Anyway, beside that, um, I remember watching um, Labyrinth in that class. So just for perspective then, for people who don't know how old we were in Mrs. Mackenzie's class, if you can believe such a thing, what, I'm uh, saying 11? We were 11. Yeah, um, a, yeah. And after the film, I got very excited and I really, really, and it wasn't the first time I'd seen this film, but I really dug Sir, Di- uh, Sir Didymus, the, uh, the uh, swashbuckling fox, mm-hmm. and I, yeah, like I say, I'm going to damage my reputation, but I got my 30 centimeter ruler from WH Smith, second plug, and I used it and bandaged it like a rapier, and I was running around like a fucking terror. Little wanker running around, be like, ha ha, ho ho. How about you, sir? ho hoo. And like jumping on chairs and rolling over tables, probably thinking I'm rolling in a really cool way, but it's probably like, really slowly, like Clark Griswold's leg trying to get up over the top, and then like <laughs> you know, bouncing off Kinch, and then be like, ha ha, ho ho, and and whacking people with my 30 centimeter ruler. And then in the end, Andrew Backhurst told you know, he dobbed on me, and I got told off, and I was furious. So that's my memory of Labyrinth in eight you know, when we watched that, which I guess it was
0: eighty eight. <laughs> so he I he's my biggest regret in my sequel, Shepard. He's in it, but he's not fleshed out. And I really wanted to have more fun with him, but I just slightly ran out of time. But I um, It's hard it was- to flesh someone out when they're made out of felt. A
1: nice. I no. right that no with I'm happy with that. You can that's another freebie. I <laughs> know uh, in of uh, spoiler me too actually um I mentioned Cedidimus he's in it but I don't go into detail at all he's, no I really don't it's interesting um, but no no not so at all
0: I did do the homework and I did re-watch Sheppy, as I mentioned it, I so you let me know when you're ready for me to just give you some takeaways because I have about maybe oh eight now seems to
1: be that's it's yeah I think we've stuff. reminisced you know let's yeah, in terms of this viewing, so like you say, this is the first time you've seen it for ages and ages. You, unlike me, didn't watch it as a teenager. So for some reason you weren't watching Labyrinth as a sixteen year old. You were off busy smooching somewhere behind the bike shed at
0: sixteen.
1: <laughs> so you, <laughs> you weren't I
0: watching Labyrinth. It was tricky.
1: There was and down
0: them. <laughs> <And you laughs> So... Know. <laughs> so, so you really
1: hadn't seen it since are you saying from uh, you know, the very early, early like mid 90s
0: read- like you i watched it lots. so there wasn't too much that was a surprise it was very happy to wash over me again and lots of lovely little moments i think probably the the couple of little things particularly just vibe wise that i had not really clocked as much as a kid was you know, it really does lean into all the fairy tales and all the sort of, you know, even just at the beginning, she's got lots of the books in her room and stuff that then have influenced the movie and stuff, which was yes. really lovely touches. And um, and even just this, sort and it's one of my favourite, favourite things in all things, is just this sort of idea that um, it may be in her mind, potentially. You know, there's, yeah. a, I mean, it's not really, but, you know, there's an interpretation there. There's a sort of quite an, an enigmatic picky of like, her in a character a bit blurry that, was, that looks a bit like. May bubble. I say? Yeah. What well,
1: can I say? Um, I believe that's meant to be her mum, and the man who she's with is Bowie. So make of that what you will. I mean, make of that pretty clearly. It's not heavy subtext. So, so that's nice. It is actually Bowie um, actually, as the yeah. man who apparently um, he, the, the the backstory apparently is according apparently to the novelization is that, that the mother was an actress and she ran away with another actor, and the actor found. Oh,
0: wow. That's beautiful and wonderful, and I love it. And I, I just, I just love that sort of stuff. I think it, it always appeals to me, like something mystical that might also be not as well. It's, really
1: it's cool. Wizard of Oz. It's um, yeah. You know, it's Alice in Wonderland. It it could, and it's heavily beyond insinuated. It's that it's a dream, which you know, and when you have the evidence ooh, blue sky on Mars, you know, right there. You're like, well, look, that's undeniable proof that it is a dream, uh, because mm-hmm. it is there. But you could also say in terms of pure fantasy, which this is, as opposed to sci-fi, like from some *Tetra* is that with Levin's, because it is pure fantasy, you could say, yes, all of these toys are there. There is a little sidonymus Her dog is Cidim- you know, puppy, yeah. puppet dog. So it is all there. But you could also say reality bends to the will of whatever reality that is where the labyrinth is where the goblins are where bowie is you know it's like yeah sure of course because they're soul twins they're connected through you know genetic universe manipulation so yes of course she's got the toys because she exists in that world it's all connected so that's yeah you know, with pure fantasy you could you can get, get around the that
0: yeah amazing amazing um I so the first thing I put is the hands as Sarah drops through the tunnel are proper scary. Actually, right. scary and very clever how they create faces and whatnot as yes. well. But there's a lot
1: of invention like that.
0: It's, so cool. it's a really good moment. And um
1: Can I mention
0: Sheppie, um, you dive in as I say this? I'm hoping I prompt lots of Sheppies. So Well, this is
1: uh, it. Well I do yeah, because I was I was gonna say all of this separately, but it just seems like a good idea to, you know, self-edit and just pop in and say, Paul Bettany about 10 years ago or whatever, who is married to Jennifer Connelly, they have a kid and just Paul Bettany and the kid were like, Paul Bettany was like, hey, daughter, do you want to watch Labyrinth and see Young Mummy? And she was like, yeah. And they were watching it and they got as far, as, and I guess the kid was like four or something, and they got as far as the hands and the kid got scared and said she didn't want to watch it anymore. and This all came from an interview with Paul Bettany. And so they they took the DVD and put it in the clothes hamper uh, so that it couldn't scare them anymore. So (laughs) so there there you go. So it scares even Jennifer Connelly's daughter.
0: That's really nice. What a lovely story. I like them as a Hollywood couple, those two. It yeah. makes me very happy. And I'm really happy yeah. that Jennifer Connolly's in basically the biggest movie of the year, you know, in Top Gun now and like having a, you know, a, a 20th career resurgence sort of thing is amazing. It's beautiful. She's um, someone
1: who never really went away. That's true. Like she And she, and she was <laughs> always right there. But she's kind of like one step up from Elizabeth Shue, but one step down from you know, somewhat A-A-A, double-triple-A. Roberts A, or know? something,
0: Julia Roberts. Roberts in yeah. the
1: day, certainly. Meg Ryan in the day, certainly. Jolie, um, Jennifer Lawrence, you know. She's always been there, but she's, you know. But, yeah, it's like in between, like I say, just above Elizabeth Shue.
0: Yeah, agreed. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: good. So, and I love Jennifer Connelly. Uh, Rocketeer for life and everything for life. And she won the Oscar. For I want to say Requiem, but it might have been a beautiful mind, yeah. But there you go, might well have been, which is where she met Betters, of course. All bets were off, all bets were off.
0: Oh Oh my god, I'm trying to think. You've got my brain racing on so many different tangents, Sheppy. I want, I'm not (laughs) going to do it, but I want to tell you that G and I watched a kid with Shoe the other day, so that was triggering. Uh, uh. That I want to tell you that I'm trying to think of a million different vision puns for the memoir for Paul Bettany, and I, I just don't want to do it now. That's, that's jerker <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> Paul, the other one, but how about this? Oh, in, in terms of, in terms of you and the missus watching Karate Kid, has she been watching Cobra Kai with oh, you? Oh
0: yeah, we are all in. And Europe
1: had today. she seen Co- uh, Karate Kid back in the day?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, that's nice. So that's a, that's the that's the way to do it.
0: It that's great. So Did she love it. Yeah, and it was so rewarding and wonderful. And, and to be honest, like it was great because she's not really warm to Machio and Cobra Kai. And, right. um, yeah, yeah. 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 And it
1: it,
0: is, so, yeah,
1: Team Johnny, absolutely.
0: And, and uh, that's it. That's the that's the genius. Yeah. As as a little uh, zag on a zag on a zag there, Sheffield, quickly say, very interesting little interview on Happy Say Confused podcast with Machio, yeah. where he talks about his. Sometimes there's conflict with what the guys come up with as writers for him right. on Cobra Kai, and um, and you know wanting to make sure they don't totally butcher the Daniel yeah. character in their love of Johnny, like do you know what I mean? It's really interesting, I think. And, uh, I've
1: heard him talk about that elsewhere, and I'll get to that odd at some point when I come back to that. But yeah, he, um, I know, I bet you anything in that he said about he offered to pay for Johnny's car in like the first couple of episodes you know, that, yeah. you know, he made sure that Daniel offered to pay for the car
0: Yeah, it's nice, it's good, it's important because they can both True. be awesome you know, you don't like they'd they'd the other way. in the latest one, don't they? you you up to date, Ships?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, nice yeah. I think I really love the end of this one it was fun
1: <laughs> That's a great zag, man
0: I'm loving it. Give a sack we go outside We've got two <laughs> epic adventures coming up as well. But anyway, I would just say, um, wine <laughs> isn't super epic, but by Jimmy's standards, it's, it's a little bit epic. So oh, I can't I wait. wait!
1: I cannot wait.
0: The um. So I just put the wall faces are hilarious, and this whole the one that has, doesn't never gets to say his line of mm. the ahead. head, and he's like, "Do you mind?" It's been a while, and they're like, okay, and Hogle, you know, goes like, "Okay," and he lets him yeah. say his line. Around. It's a really lovely touch. That's got they give
1: character to everything, like the turn back from eternal fate. You know that that. <laughs> yeah, exactly Do
0: <drop>. that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was amazing.
0: I love how. Um, and I, I think I probably saw this on the Muppets pod, so I'll just make it, again, a very quick comment, but I feel like the Hensons must just be the biggest dog lovers because all their Muppets and puppets, and just, they're just like dogs where they do their little... Yeah, that's a good
1: Hensons. visual gag for a pod, but <laughs> if the, if the the listeners know, he did the Muppet face, sort of the laughing mouth open thing, <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: um I made this comment a bit late, like you know, I say I saw, I saw this about a week ago. To be fair, and I've forgotten what's on his head, but there's some amazing life lessons, and there's this one—is it an emu on that guy's head as a hat? Oh is yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's a
1: long-necked bird.
0: Yeah, and uh, and he gives you know lots of amazing life lessons. but it's not fair, but that's how it is, you know, and. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just I love it. You know, sometimes I feel that we're not making progress, but we are. And you know, this this is actually as I do hair around the country, Cheppy and stay lots of hotels to do this. You know, I, I was taking a lot from it. I was taking a lot from it. No, I love um, it. The bog of eternal stench. I feel like that stayed with me as a concept. Like I, I don't know. Like I. Remember it certainly the-
1: stayed with you as an
0: aroma. I remember we went to a, a field trip to a sewage plant in Cranley. Do you remember that? Yeah, Probably of course. Is-
1: How can I forget?
0: <laughs> that would have come up a few times, I'm sure, about that, that trip. Um, I love...
1: The amount of poos. It was like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. How I could... No one would forget <laughs> that it was a waterfall of individual poos. You don't forget that. It no. was Mr. Hankey's entire family.
0: Oh, God. Yeah, it was yeah
1: it was life-changing and it made me the man i am today
0: i'm glad they did it you know on balance i think that was actually yeah. a thing to see
1: <laughs> <laughs> well it certainly put things in perspective i'll tell you that uh, no i loved it i loved it at the time i looked at that fountain that waterfall and i was like there you go there you are that's 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 wonderful i expected like in the mission like a tiny little like i don't know a mouse on a crucifix go over the top um it was hardcore (laughs) no it that's another little zag which i'll take responsibility for but
0: so what what,
1: about oh i bet i know what you're going to say you're going to you know vulgar eternal stench we're at the place and was it a ludo quote that came about
0: no, go on, Sheppy. What did you have in mind that I. I... Well,
1: I remember at Gleebland's in the changing room after PE, <laughs> there was often a, a a pungent cloud of pestifying aroma, and there was often the cry echoing through the locker room of smell bad. And that was, <laughs> that was a staple. So, uh, yeah.
0: Good old Ludo. Perfect.
1: That's <laughs> another great character.
0: It is. They're all brilliant, aren't they? And I love Hoggle as well. And I, um, yes, he makes a wonderful noise when he donates his coin and has to donate a coin. I just, he's just, one uh, his expressions. Is that's fantastic.
1: Brian Henson, uh, Jim's son, who also who went on not long after, like five years, six years later, directed The Muppet Christmas Carol. It's a good old Brian Henson.
0: What a legend. Well, I mean, spoiler alert, he's my director, Sheppy. so we'll...
1: we'll oh, that's done. lovely, Jimmy, lovely. Can I ask, then, the whole sewage thing... Yeah. ...was that you were making a reference to a time I in just, our lives... Yeah, I just snow. wanted
0: to remember that we'd been to a
1: <laughs> I've been to a lot of smelly places in my life, Jim. I'm relatively proud to admit it, but yes, you're right, it was a smelly place, but it was was mechanical, it wasn't like going to like a natural place, you know, where just like it really stinks of just natural shit, you know, man-made shit literally is one thing, but it's separate, but there's something to be said of like, you know, a hot spring somewhere in New Zealand, which is very good for the skin, that smells like a thousand bad yolks, and that yolk is on you.
0: Oh my god, I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna move on because that was wonderful, Zach. I'm very happy it's in the pod. Um, yeah. I love the knockers, and I mean this very <laughs> little thing uh, when uh, the knockers are all talking. It's, it's sort of, yes. is it even CGI? I don't know. But when she, punches no, no, the God, nose, no, no,
1: it's puppets, man. It's all puppets.
0: Oh, so good. And like, it must be like Play doh or something when she punches the nose of the seat. Yeah, knockers, yeah. It's amazing. And yeah. I love how she says, I'm sorry, and he goes, that's all right, I'm used to it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Is that human, well, again, you mentioned earlier, and of course it's the Muppets, and it's Jim Henson, and it's the Muppets, and it is. And the, the hands and the, the humanization, the little touches, that very specific brand of humour, yes, and they're all experts, and the the Muppet face, and the you know, quarter pounder of cheese wolf face, and all of that, it's it's all there. It's, you know, these people are geniuses and they had been doing, you know, talk about 10,000 hours of practice. They've been done, you know, at that point, what, 10 million hours of practice So they knew they knew what they're doing in their bones. So all of that is wonderful. And, the, you know, laughing and then the clunk when he put the thing back in. And all the riddles and the clever things I'll never understand. It's like the Die Hard with a Vengeance water bottle thing. I never understand it. And I know it, I can see it. And I, admit, you know what, I understand it for like 30 seconds and then it just goes. And it's exactly the same with the, but then he would be lying and all of that shit. Um, yeah, that's sort of the, the, the logic trap. It's good stuff. It's, that's how Captain Kirk blows up computers every week. Um, so it's good. <laughs> so I like all of that stuff
0: that by the way that last little minute it's maybe my favorite of your there's so much gold in there and observation is perfect (laughs) and one thing i had never noticed before or maybe i hadn't forgotten but there's there's a little moment where they've got some rocks and they sort of the camera pans around them and then they basically certain angles actually forms Bowie's face. Which oh, is yes. A nice. yes. Yes. And um,
1: Henson and this other person spent a few days going mad designing that shot apparently.
0: Not really. Wow.
1: Yeah, it's a very clever shot, and it's not immediately apparent. Actually, you have to sort of pay attention to see it. It's it's a real Last Crusade leap of faith wannabe. It's a it's a pure perspective job.
0: Nice. I really liked it. Gave me a little shiver. Um, yeah. The uh Now, these guys are not back in mind, but the chilly down with the fire gang um, Yes. <laughs> it's, it's sort of, it's not necessarily where the movie, because I, I do love the movie. I think I text you halfway going this might be five star. It's probably not a five star, Shepi. And I feel the chilly down with the fire gang is where it starts to wobble a little. Oh, really? Not that they're the weak link or anything, but it's just pretty, it's just, you can feel it inserted. And, uh, Is
1: this and, the the heads? Just to be absolutely clear, the the, the, the bouncing heads and don't problem that one. <laughs>
0: yeah, I've literally put the decapitations exclamation mark. Exclamation yes, mark. <laughs> I mean I
1: will mention later the things about the film that have always not really sat with me perfectly. I would say it's a four star film. Um, yeah, would you agree with that?
0: Yes, I think that's very fair, and yeah, a, a really good four star. Yeah, solid, solid.
1: Um, if I can mention this dance sequence, and, I, and it might be all of it, but I can say with absolute certainty from what I've heard, that dance sequence is choreographed by Gates McFadden, who then, like the next year, became Dr. Beverly Crusher on Next Generation. Wow. And she was in the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Muppets' Take Manhattan, which was a couple of years before Labyrinth. She just cameos because she was a dance choreographer first, you know, and she worked with them in there, and then she choreographed maybe everything but certainly that that particular dance sequence and one of the singers who did the voices of one of the headless thingies uh was danny john jules who went on a few years later to be the cat in red dwarf
0: oh nice that's really cool well that makes me like that scene a bit better that's good (laughs) I, i find like there's a little moment where it starts to get quite Head tappingly stressful, I put here, like, you know, something she will tap her head when things get stressful in a movie. But <laughs> um, but it's like they're kind of that, you don't know whether they're in the maze or not. Time is running out, but they're spending a bit of time, you know, yeah. and, uh, and it's just, you know, it, it, yeah. like how much have we really got? You know, if you really wanted to invest in the concept of the movie, you'd be a bit, you'd be starting to get a bit nervous.
1: It's um, true. It The film itself, forgets about this ticking clock sands of time running out thing and it gets a bit meandery in the second half you've got dream sequences you've got like rubbish dump trash ladies um it really it gets it gets a bit structureless, and it does pull it back together for the end but that is something that i've always had a bit of a problem with and let me say whilst we're talking about it for a film called labyrinth it's like the rock the, meaning the film there's actually not very much in the rock of Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery doing a diehard on Alcatraz. They're in mine carts and they're driving around San Francisco and stuff. And in Labyrinth, there's actually very little of her in a proper maze. And that was actually something that I really wanted to rectify in my version. Spoiler! Exactly the opposite. But, in terms of Labyrinth, um, you know, that, that is a bit of a, a bugbear. It, it, yeah, there's... there's not much of her actual
0: wandering around something of like another and stuff. Amazing, Sheffy. I can't wait for the blood sequel. I just so, um, I was I've just put here like I normally have big problems with magical stuff, like it's it great on me. Like, can't Gandalf just sort it out in Lord of the Rings? Like, where do the power <laughs> begin and end? I need a top trump card on these people. I need to know specifically what they can and can't do. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I get a bit antsy about that stuff, um, but. One thing that I think Labyrinth does quite well here is, you know, if you were being a a cynical character might say, you know, the Goblin King really, why is he using Hoggle, you know, to do some of his dirty work and take her out the mage and all this sort of stuff when he could just flick a finger and do something, you know, but...
1: Maybe it's a free will sort of God situation where the person has to make their own decisions and he
0: can... Absolutely. I think that's true. I think he's just bored as well, is Jared, and he's just having fun. And I think that's how they get out of most of the whole movie, if you know what I mean. He's just, yeah. He's not
1: evil, but no. he's certainly, you know, petulant and all sorts of, you know, selfish and all that. Uh, but then again, again, it, it is a dream in some capacity. Even if it's actually happening, it is still a dream. So that is, you could forgive it. In terms of Gandalf, you know, there is a science, if you will, to the magic in things like Lord of the Rings, whereas in something like this, which is by definition dreamlike, and that would also quote unquote, forgive the unstructured main part of the second half of the film. You could say, well, it, it unravels but it's a dream. And uh, it's like, all right, fine. You know. But again, it's not my, my preference, but that, that would explain that aspect.
0: I, I I hear you, Sheppy, and I I think um it was really hard to I had one scene I had to totally rewrite because I wasn't sure whether it was quite within the rules if you know what I mean. But I'll I'll take about that later, and um, it just specifically to that dream point as well. But um I love it. two things to say finally for me like Ambrosius the cowardly dog. <laughs> oh, sure. I just put some pictures how that dog shakes, which is amazing. Yes. Um, yes. And the ending, Sheppy, like. You, you you, could pro- possibly derail by a pitch here, but like, it's a very ambiguous ending, it, exactly as you say, like kind of the dream sort of falls apart at the end there, but like, I don't really know what they're wrapping up and how they wrap it up at the end, really. Do you know what I mean? Like where- She is- has
1: to recount the poem or the passage that she's reading. Yeah. And she has to remember the last time, you have no power over me. And that undoes the spell. I think ultimately he is powerless. He, um, as a character, Gerard, he just you know he's he's a paper tiger, and he he's a king of this bubble world, with, but so, but he has no substance. And so yeah. ultimately, her saying the words with conviction, "You have no power over me," you know, and it completes the circle of her saying it at the beginning and the fantasy in that world emerging. You know, but yeah, it's not like she does something specific which we've been told will stop him she doesn't throw the crystal into the lake of mirth or something yeah. it it is it is abstracty and you could say that's weak but it, you know what can you do
0: i quite like it actually honestly but i and, and i think it adds to the fact that it probably you know the, the sort of the ambiguity of the whole thing when it comes to a similar moment for mine I've just, uh, well, tell you, I won't tell you that, but, you know, I've just, just thrown it away. <laughs> I, just don't care. I don't care. I'm more interested in little moments between now and then. But anyway. Right. yeah, <laughs> I will just say as well, Shepin, I want to get your other reflections on Labyrinth too, but as a final, I haven't done a trailer moment for you, but I right. would say that I have cast someone in mind that, you know, we're nearly 50 eps in here, or 50 pitches in, we're over 50 eps, and I've not. I don't, to the best of my knowledge, think I have cast this individual yet, and it's basically my favorite movie star, and I can't believe he hasn't been in anything yet. Wow! And I was very excited that I managed to cast him in this. And oh my god, does not quite work in like age-wise, but it kind of does as well. And I'll explain all of that later. But oh just a god, little piece actually, for you. Yeah, that's
1: <laughs> astonishing. Wow. <laughs> Michael Crawford strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> well, i am absolutely, I'm tantalized beyond belief. That's wonderful. Um, I'll go through, we did touch on a lot of the things that I wanted to touch on, which is good. Um, so I'll just go through um, in terms of so forth. I mean, Connolly is great um, and I've always liked her and she was in a few films in the eighties, once upon a time in America, but um, she was very small and then a few years after that, this and uh, phantasms and things like, don't get me started on the rocketeer. Bowie is ace, of course he's ace, but you say, of course he's ace, but he is ace. Um, so that's nice. Um, shout out, helping hands, blah, blah, blah. That's nice, I even wrote Bethany, so that's all right. Oh, um, in the scene with Jareth, with Toby on his knee, when they were trying to film that, Toby would cry all the time, so in the final, Scene that they shot. Bowie has a sooty puppet on his hand, just out of frame, and is waggling it around in front of Toby the baby, and that's what Toby's looking at, just off shot. Okay. Um, so I, I hope there's a photo, at least somewhere, of the camera and Bowie and Toby and the fucking sooty puppet. Fucking amazing. <laughs> um, so I'm a big fan of that. To- um, apparently, an early draft has the trash lady revealed to be a puppet controlled by Jareth, so like a Muppet puppet, if you will. And another draft, apparently, had her as his mother. Um, And that works with an original ending, which had Jareth uh, be punched and kicked, apparently, by Sarah, and he shrinks down to his true form of wretched goblin. So that's interesting, and that would be a more physical ending. So there was obviously a, a decision not to go that way. The songs were amazing. Oh, and you mentioned CGI. That owl at the very beginning in the title sequence was the first, I believe, first CGI creature ever in a motion picture. Oh, wow. um, So that's, really? yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that's all right. Um, Toby, by the way, that was his real name. The character was, I think, something like Freddy or I think Freddy um, in the script, but the kid just only reacted to Toby, makes sense. Can just change the character? <laughs> to Toby.
0: Like a lot and, of hard
1: work. <laughs> oh my God, can you imagine this fucking kid? And it wasn't twins, you would assume it would be, but apparently it was just a kid. Toby, he was the son, actually, of the production designer, and Toby later studied at the Muppet Workshop in New York, and actually, just a few years ago, he was the design supervisor on the new Dark Crystal TV show, which is excellent, by the way. Uh, and in real life, his wife is called Sarah. So so there you are. <laughs> um, another thing I wanted to mention is the dad in Labyrinth. Um The dad in this type of film, like Neverending Stories, is always someone unexpected. And in retrospect, when you look back at it years later, you go, fucking hell, is that so-and-so? The dad in this case is from Empire Strikes Back and Highlander, he, from Empire Strikes Back, he's uh, the rebel on Hoth. This is Rogue Two, this is Rogue Two. I found them, repeat, I found them. That fucker. Nice. And also in Highlander, he's that cunt who gets stabbed up by the Kurgan, that, uh, like the, the nutter, okay, Marine, this is for real. That wank, He's wearing like a T-shirt which says, hey, Moscow, up yours on it with an atomic bomb. <laughs> so what a crit. And by the way, Highlander was the same year as Labyrinth. So that guy had an amazing 1986. Um, so that, By the way, speaking of people who had amazing 1986s, the uh, character from Star Trek 4. With, uh, with the whales, the uh, the woman who becomes friends with Kirk and everything. Mm. That was a great year. Same year, the other day, we watched Peggy Sue Got Married. She's in that as well. Another <laughs> time travel film, 1986. Both these actors had amazing 1986s and possibly never did anything else ever again. That's a bit of a zag, but I feel this is a bit of a zag poddy, so I'm, I'm happy with that. <laughs> Um, so, with, that's that's everything I wanted to mention. I do have a trailer clip, uh, but actually, just by definition, I'm going to leave it for the moment. And when it happens in the film, I'll say that's the trailer clip. Just because if you don't have one, I'm going to leave it because it's just, ah, I'm just going to leave it because I, I don't, you yeah, know, minimal spoiler. Yeah. yeah Although, yeah. It, but I, I'll tell you what, maybe I'll get to it in a second. But if you're happy, Jimmy, I think i can jump into my my labyrinth secret yes. pitch uh, yes
0: i'm so excited i'm so excited i am um, yes i'm i know you're gonna have done amazing things well that's a terrible thing to say i don't <laughs> know man i don't know i, well, I know let's just pitch. i know you've done a pitch there's just no pressure there's just, there's I, just uh... Uh,
1: there was another one um there was another idea which i'm um, like just a very concept basic concept that i won't say just in case that's what your idea ended up being and i don't want to just like say, but I did, like often happens, a secondary idea did pop in there, and if I remember after your pitch, I'll just say it was like a sentence. Um, But in this case, I did it a slightly different direction. There are sort of different things you could do with a labyrinth two, um, but I decided just to go pure, straight sequel. So mine is literally labyrinth two, Roman numerals, colon, the Secrets of the Nine Realms. Wow. And it's 1988, so just, just two years after, pure, it's directed by Jim Henson. And it's starring Jennifer Connelly, David Bowie, with Brian Henson, Dave Goles, Frank Oz, Danny John jules <laughs> and Tina Turner.
0: Oh, my God.
1: This shit just got real. Um Mm -hmm. I'll I'll tell you what, the trailer clip is it's Jareth, and he's saying, You may turn your back on me, Sarah, but never forget the magic, never forget your connection to the spell, for you know the words, you have but to say them once again. And you know, images are happening over the top of this, and then it cuts to him. So don't help me, Sarah. Help my kingdom, help my subjects, use your power and dance once more. So (laughs) I mean, and
0: it's like, I'm so happy and pleased you've done the Sheppy and gone straight sequel like that. That makes yeah. me so happy. I haven't done that, so that's great. So we can just nice. yeah, put a pin in that. But that's, that's that
1: yeah, makes that, that's good
0: well. stuff. Yeah, amazing. No, amazing. For
1: now this was this is one of those times where I mentioned which um, it was more or less done, and then like, this sort of concept came to me and then I wrote like an extra six pages and that's what I'm, and this is what I'm about to jump into. So, straight in, pre credit scene. <laughs> uh, Victorian England, an orphanage, run down, overcrowded, terrible condition, a laughed, draughty nursery filled with tens of dozens of cots and beds, cobwebs, smashed windows, dusty beams and unswept floors, Dickens wept, I wrote, <laughs> smuggling. <laughs> All children share the uh, share the room, ages, you know, very young children. A lacklustre nurse or carer finishes the check on the quote-unquote guests and returns to the other room where we hear the sounds of laughter and rowdy merriment coming from other nurses and so-called doctors and carers and the clinking of glass and the raised voices of the intoxicated. And the large room stays, you know, it's kind of dark, um, but there's light coming in from these huge windows and it stays more or less quiet for a moment. Then the huge windows overlooking the Limehouse docks open in the middle and more wind bellows in, sending the tattered curtains billowing in the moonlight. We see the floor and a long shadow grows in the window's entrance, obviously very similar, identical to the shot in the original. The shadow enters the room and feet enter frame, making footprints in the dusty floor. Boots, a cape, confidence strides. We see snatches of an extravagant wardrobe and amazing hair. We see rubies on fingers and a jeweled scarab at a belt. The boots walk further into the room and we cut to the point of view of the, of the wearer, looking down into rows of cots and cribs containing babies. Some are asleep, some are looking around stupidly, some are crying. It's a safe assumption that this is Bowie, but no, it's a bit of a twist. There's a reveal as the figure's eyes come into focus as they move forwards, filling the frame as the eyes smile. And now we see they belong to a woman. They belong to Tina Turner. This is the celestial Empress. Uh, I won't lie, she's very similar to Thunderdome. Um, and, And we hear the female voice of the visitor murmuring to herself, We don't get a good look at her at this point. It's all just glimpses. And we hear her say, hmm, now what do we have here? And staying in her point of view, we pass one baby, then another, looking down as we pass by one baby in a cot and another and another, and the visitor's shadow passing over them as she passes. We continue to only see her in little bits. Uh, Her voiceover continues as we move like right to left, past all the babies in the cots and the empress. Uh, says, any futures worth seeing? Any destinies worth scooping up? Hmm, and you know, one baby, like, too dozy, too, next baby, glum. Who likes a glum baby? Oh, too skinny, ugh. Now, like, a very serious-looking baby. Oh, you'll be a banker, no doubt. And another, and another, a scribbler, a thief, a runaway, a carer. A serious lad, a fussy girl, a born whiner, a failed artist, a failed husband, a failed life, baby, 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 baby. And then we cut to like a long wide shot of the entire room as the figure twirls and exclaims, Oh, who could ever want such things as you? And back to a point of view. And then she comes across a baby who's sitting up, looking right at her, us, with these large eyes and inquisitive and honest, but with a bit of a twinkle. And uh, the empress is, ah, but what is this we have now? A thicker, a keen mind, a sharpened soul, I think, and wait, yes, do we have, is this? And I write into the eyes and then the uh, empress, you know, a point of view moves right up to the baby. and We cut to the baby's point of view with a huge silhouette with the massive hair, like a mane leaning right over and looking down at the baby, the face in shadow. And the empress addresses the baby. So tell me little one, do you like to dance? And the baby kind of coos. And the empress laughs a bit and like, of course you do. And gloved arms to the elbow, you know, come reach down and pick the baby up. Who remains looking without fear, but open curiosity. And uh, we have a dancer, a schemer, a riddle maker, a problem for most, a disaster for others. The things I see in your eyes, my my. Oh, my baby boy, I do see your future, and it is magic. And we cut to a long shot as the figure carries the baby out, holding him in front of her, almost at arm's length, as she strides back towards the window. And the empress is like, are you ready, my little one? You may have great things ahead, my boy, my prince, my king. (laughs) So come along and let's see what you're made of, my little, hmm. To name a baby, name a baby, what could you do? be a Reducilla perhaps? No, no, are you a Pippin? (laughs) No. And the shot now is like from floor level facing the windows and looking up as the figure now backlit by the dock lights shining in through the fog beyond the window carries the baby away and out into the light which is growing brighter and brighter the closer. She walks toward it away from us and her final words as she leaves are like I think you'll be Jareth. Yes, Jareth. And let the dance begin and cackling with laughter as the figure is swallowed by the now blinding light and the double windows slam shut and the light cuts off the instant they close leaving us in this big wide shot with the room once again all in darkness and the only sounds are some baby noises and the wind and we cut to black and labyrinth two comes up and the full title in some territories, but perhaps not in others. Sometimes <laughs> it's just called Labyrinth Fucking 2 because <laughs> they can't be fucking asked.
0: That was so um, romantic, Jeffy. That was ridiculous. It wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. can <laughs> feel amazing. I mean, I mean.
1: <laughs> so to sum up in general terms, Sarah, It's she's 18. It's two years later, three years later, assuming she's 15, 16 in the first film. So now she's 18. She's moved away from home. She started college, uh, as well as holding down a part-time job. She lives in college dorms, but everyone else uh, seems to have like handled things really well. They're having fun with no troubles fitting in, et cetera. She is facing the grim realities of quote-unquote adult or more adult life. We learn either through a phone call with her stepmother. Now, ironically, Sarah and the stepmom are on better terms, but she and her father were not speaking. Or it could be another scene, or you know you don't want to hang around too much, but maybe with her lecturer who is concerned about her grades and she's had a huge fight with her father. About being independent, and you know, she's adopted more mature behaviour. You know, put your dolls away, sir, and all that shit. So she's she's learnt from the experience. She's grown as a person, but now she's more mature. Perhaps she's overcompensating the changes brought around by her previous adventures. You know, is sort of having a downside. So she's wanted to claim her independence, and she's moved to a college right on the other side of the country, away from the family, against his wishes. And so he's kind of cut her off. Well, she said, I'm not taking anything from you anyway. She's effectively living in self-imposed exile. um, And she's kind of, you know, she's not happy about this really. Life is hard, reality is hard, studies. You know, she was like a top student at school, but now she's like, you know, really struggling um, to keep up with everyone else. And she's working nights and so forth. And she's having trouble making friends. She feels like a phony and a failure. Also, um, since, you know, quote unquote, growing up, she's lost contact with her special friends. You know, anytime you need us, you know, so Didymus and Ludo and Hoggle haven't been seen for some time. And, you know, that's that's not good for her. She harbors resentment at this and at them, seeing their absence as a betrayal and abandonment. She's even starting to think that maybe it was all a dream. Now, Now, after making a fool of herself in class, falling asleep and drooling and then being shamed by the wanker teacher, oh, are you with us? I don't even know what her surname, Miss Sarah. Um, she leaves like all blushed in a flurry. You know, when, when girls in films are really embarrassed and they run out of the classroom, clutching all their books and stuff to their chest and yeah. looking down at their feet at the rear and everyone's like, ha, ah, pure. Um, red-faced embarrassment to some titters and jeers from classmate fools. She goes to the shoddy campus, graffitied bathroom, a bit shaky and teary and angry at herself. And she chastises herself in the mirror, and she's like, "You're not a baby. Stop acting like a baby." And there's a dull thud and uh, a scraping suddenly from one of the stalls behind her. And Sarah you know, jumps a bit, and she's like, "Is someone there?" But no answer. She now hears something sounding like a snickering and a muffled stifled guffaw and she thinks someone's in there mocking her and Sarah suddenly gets angry and she pushes the stool door open hard but it's empty. She's confused and she's unsure and she goes back to the mirror, washes her face and then more snickering from the stools. Tiny shapes and hinted shadows scurry about from one stool underneath the partitions to the other. Confused and furious she turns back and she kicks open all the stools let's say there are six in a row she kicks them open one by one and you know there's a sense of scurrying feet and whispered sniggers continuing and she gets to the last stool and there's a moment of tension and there's a slight swell in the music and she kicks that one open too and it is also empty and she turns back to uh, the mirror and she sees herself and behind her suddenly a tiny form with yellow eyes then shooting back away out of sight Sarah reacts and pursues, you know, darting, looking under all the doors. And she opens the very first stall door again. And this time there's no one there, but behind the door, there's just like an empty space. Very dark, no toilet, but the back wall is missing. There's a jagged hole smashed in the brick. Sarah's like, what? And she steps up to this hole and the sides are like, not like you would imagine. They're like mossy rock. And she's unbelieving and she steps forward and through looking about and the rock continues on both sides of her. as She steps further into this tunnel, and there's light ahead, and the rock tunnel opens out, becoming an exit to a cave, which she steps out of. She merges into a forest, the cave behind her, part of some massive woody and rocky hillside, and the air is grey and dark. Behind her, the stalls in the bathroom are still visible in the darkness of the cave, but as Sarah turns back to look, the stall door closes with a bang. She races to stop it closing, but too late, She grabs the door to the stool, wrenches it open, only to reveal more cave beyond. So now she's just standing in a cave in the middle of a forest holding a college bathroom stool. So she drops it. And Sarah takes it all in. And she's at once perplexed and accepting, but angry and then relieved. And she steps back into the forest and she looks around and she says, what in the world? And a voice says, you are telling me. And Sarah jumps and looks about her and sees nothing, but then she looks up, and above her is a massive tree sloth hanging from a low branch. And she strikes up a conversation, struggling to wake him up enough to get any sort of information. And she's like, excuse me. And he's like, like, excuse me, where am I? He's like, "Uh, ah, forest. But where is this place? "Uh, Ah, forest. But how did I get here? And Sloth kind of raises his massive hairy arm like, through that cave. You haven't been paying attention, have you? And Sarah's like, right, yes, fine, okay. But tell me, Mr. Sloth, just Sloth is fine. Okay, Sloth, but can you tell me? Don't call me Sloth, it's demeaning. But you said you can call me William. Okay, William. William Sloth, okay. Wait, your name is William Slough? On second thought, you can call me Mr. Slough. Let's keep things formal. And Sarah's like, Mr. Slough, where exactly is this forest? Where exactly is this tree? Where exactly are we right now? Are we near the Goblin City? And Sloth is like, Goblin City? Ha, my dear girl, everyone knows goblins don't exist what do you think this is, fairy tale? (laughs) And Sarah's like, not very polite to laugh at a stranger. So tell me your name so I may laugh to you some more. (laughs) And Sarah's like, I'm Sarah. Now please, Mr. Sloth, William, please tell me where we are. And Sloth's like, this is the last of the nine realms, the twilight forest on the edge of the brink of forever. This is the kingdom of the celestial empress. and this is my branch. And how do I leave? Don't ask me. I'm just a sloth. But I bet the lumber bats know. And he points his arm again. And she's like, lumber bats? And the sloth tells her that these are huge bats who gnaw down trees to make bridges and houses and life-size sculptures of trees. And she's like, that's ridiculous. Who cuts down a tree to make a statue of a tree? And he's like, lumber bats do, again. Not very observant, are you, Sarah? (laughs) And Sarah uh, asks the Sloth, how can she leave the forest? And he points her down a winding path. So Sarah starts down the dark and winding forest path. uh, She very soon meets a beggar on the side of the shadowy path. It's like this muppety creature thing in a shabby cloak and a long beak emerging from a dirty hood. And they strike a conversation he joins her and they walk and talk and we learn more about the state of things. All is unwell in the land and the beggar is like, uh, no one is much happy with the way things are, but then when is anyone happy of much of anything? And Sarah's, I'm sorry, I, I heard of an empress. Oh, the empress, you must hiss those words so as not to be heard by the crows and worms. And Sarah's like, is she really that bad? Um, like, well, that depends. Is harvesting whole towns and settlements into slaves for your bidding bad, hmm? Uh, yeah, well, that, that's pretty bad, all right. Is hoarding lives and casting spells to change the will of men bad? Yes, that's, that's bad. To dance on your grave, to play with others' lives like you, with your dolls. All is bad. All is lost in the darkness. My gosh, that all sounds pretty terrible. Wait, what did you say? Hmm? How do you know I I play? I used to play with dolls? Mm. Hey, listen, chief, you better start to speak the truth, or or else I'll, or else, or else. And then his voice changes. Oh, come, come, Sarah. Only the weak say, or else. And he stands and he rises up and he casts off his cloak and he pulls back his hood and he loses the beak and smiles. And Sarah gawks at its bloody Jareth the ex-ruler of the goblin city. And Sarah's like, you! And mocking Jareth is like, as William said, your powers of observation continue to serve you well. And they have at it some meaty sparring and banter. And Jareth is looking amazing, of course, and stylish, but his fashion and appearance is much changed. Gone are the fine clothes and princely robes. Even his magnificent hair is messy and disheveled, and his clothes are torn and tattered. Actually, a tiny spider called Baz lives in his mess of hair, and Baz and Jareth often bicker. Uh, Sarah naturally assumes a trick, but he claims, you know, the clothes are his and not a disguise. My once finer apparel is long gone, Sarah. What once were princely robes are now torn, sodden, a mess. And we have a song by Jareth, which uh, I'll keep short, but a, a, a touch, a taste of that cast aside, thrown asunder, tears in rain, shouts in thunder, oh, where on this sordid little pile can I find a purpose that makes me feel worthwhile? And Sarah's like, you'll get no sympathy from me, Mac. My kingdom lost, my throne forgotten, I sat above, but now I'm bottom, usurped by a power-hungry creep. I'll find my magic and use it as she sleeps, and so like, and I bet there's a bridge you'd love to sell me too, right? And Jareth's like, oh, I plan revenge and strive for my return. I'll never rest till her sacred land will burn. And after this frankly amazing number that goes on and on, Jareth admits that it was indeed he who brought her here And she is up for a fight. I knew it. But he claims benevolence. And she is naturally sceptical. But she learns that this is the world beyond the Goblin Kingdom, beyond his, his land, beyond the walls of his lands. And more, she learns that while it's two or three years for her, it is untold eons later here. And Jareth has been robbed of status, position and power. And Jareth is like, for the empress of the celestial realms is more than just another stooge with eyes and my jewels, for it was her that my power first did come, she found it deep inside and gave it as a gift, bestowed such riches, and then, after I lost precious Toby, and worse still, I lost you, well, she took it back, she took it all back. And uh, so he tries to get into the song again. Betrayed from the one I called mother. Never have I sown such betrayal from another. And Sarah interrupts and totally cuts him Okay, okay, enough of that. Just answer me straight. Why did you bring me here? As bad as you say this empress is, she can't be as bad as you. And Jared's, oh, Sarah, sweet, simple minded Sarah. Still so naive in the ways of all things, yes, I was at times harsh, hard, and even cruel. You were a bully, Jareth, and the Empress isn't a bully, and she isn't harsh, and she isn't cruel. She is, my girl, simply a tyrant, a force of malicious contempt to hold all kingdoms, all realms under her boot, grinding souls to dust just to hear the crack. And we learn since Sarah's victory in the first film, Jareth has indeed been banished from his own kingdom and robbed of most of his power. And his failure to win Sarah and keep his prize, Toby, resulted in the Empress of the Nine Realms to seize back power, invade the kingdom, enslave the inhabitants. So now his goblins are all subjugated, living as slaves, forgotten by all. Jareth's only chance for reclaiming power and saving his kingdom is to learn humility. He needs the help of the one who bested him previously, the girl who beat the labyrinth. Uh, Jareth is like, my kingdom wasn't great, but it was fun and my subjects ultimately wanted for nothing. Could I have been more generous? Yes, I suppose. Could I have been more patient, kind and forgiving? Possibly. But we sang. Oh, Sarah, how we sang. And Sarah's like, and the labyrinth? What you knew as the labyrinth is gone, decayed, crumbled. So look around you now, see the twisting path beneath your feet, the wicked roots and the gnarled trees, the sky of soot and the ground of ash. And she's like rolling her eyes. Like there are riddles in the air and whispers in the dark. So look around you, Sarah, for this, this land, this kingdom, these realms. This is the labyrinth now. And from these walls, there is no escape. And uh, so once you know Sarah fought to traverse this kingdom, now she must fight for its survival. That's probably a tagline. Um, so now deep within the empire of the celestial empress, Sarah must make a certain peace with Jareth and he with her as a journey through the nine realms to reach the fortress of mind's desire in the center, the empress's temple. Uh, this labyrinth world is more hostile, treacherous and unforgiving than the one Sarah had previously walked. And Sarah at one point is like, it was never fair, but now it's actively vindictive. And Jared's like, nothing can prepare you for what lies ahead. And yet you are the only one who can set things straight. Only you, Sarah, have the power to solve the maze and defeat the Empress. Why me? And he goes on to say, because it was you. You beat the Labyrinth, you you braved the Labyrinth, you beat it. You broke the spell and you smashed my kingdom. And now radiant woman, it is you and only you who can use your power. For me, held by you to restore the land and save my people. Not for me, but for everyone else. And that's the uh, that's the trailer point as well. Um and Sarah's like, I made it through your labyrinth. How can how hard can a few realms be? Oh, Sarah, sweet, simple, foolish Sarah, the realms are the labyrinth, you idiot. And he goes on like that. Um, Armies have been lost trying to make it through the maze of the Nine Realms, entire civilizations are still out there somewhere, forever wandering, always lost. So now Sarah and Jareth must uh, travel as vagabonds, which Jareth has become, and they move from sort of weird twisted towns to the countryside, to mountains, to woods, to swamps, to wild plains and abandoned cities, all twisty-turny, all... uh, You know, lots and lots of things, lots of obstacles to overcome. Um, Each territory or realm is different and they come across vastly different, but equally treacherous, um, like obstacles, dangers, riddles to solve, funny Muppet things pop up and stuff. Um, There's like a three dimensional maze with all sorts of levels like that called either bit. Um, there's moving parts and traps, both in logic and geography. There are riddles, chants, puzzles and mysteries to be solved and navigated. A woodland maze inside and around massive mammoth trees and the canopy above. Weird squawking and untrusting and untrustworthy meow birds. A desert maze with rocks and quicksand and scorched earth that sizzles and hisses at you. And probably sings at some point. A forgotten ghost kingdom of a forgotten prince, overgrown and long alone. This place is stone corridors, spiral stairways, trapdoors, hidden doors, drawbridges, rotating walls, probably paintings with Scooby Doo moving eyes that probably sing. A cavern of wonders beneath a mountain, underground lakes, echoes that sing and mislead, pools of still ancient bottomless water. Uh, a classic hedge maze, for the love of God, Could we just get one of those? A classic stone-walled maze, a maze of mirrors within a snow globe, a maze of immense rat things, benign, but you don't want to be run over by one of them as they search for the, and chase for cheese, which is legs and is constantly pursued. No time to stop, this race is Gorgonzola! Uh, on their journey, they may solve the riddles of the mega-labyrinth, escape the traps uh, laid by the Empress to hinder and stop their progress, to meet an assortment of Muppets who act as friends and enemies. Some of them may stick around or come back and you know, form the posse. Uh, at some point, another penny drops. You know, It's kind of insinuated, or, well, what we know as the audience, but Sarah absolutely learns Jaros was born as a human baby, it was taken by the Empress. Uh, and he lived for thousands of years, potentially, becoming the Goblin King um, under one of the realms of her supervision. Uh, He had the magic as a babe that he saw in Toby, um, and it has happened for millennia. A babe is taken, and its destiny feeds the world. The Empress knows this, and she wants more babies. The Empress also serves, then, as a surrogate mother of sorts to Jareth. So for her fashioning him and preparing him to rule was one thing, uh, taking away his kingdom and power when he was beaten by this earth girl was especially painful and hurtful for him and of course this whole thing is very humiliating. Sarah must defeat all the barriers and leap all the hurdles. Um, now maybe we cut back and forth to the Empress's temple or maybe we wait until the third act spoiler when they get there but if we do cut back and forth in any case it's like a Mayan style hardcore temple atop a massive carved mountain and there is the empress, Tina Turner. And she has a great entrance where you see everything. You know what I mean? She's been in shadow and she's like, Pada! and there are lots of songs, of course. Uh, she reshapes the landscape of the kingdoms, moving landmarks and mountain ranges, towns and rivers and trees and valleys, all at her pleasure uh, to move the pieces of this maze, cheating as Sarah moves across it. And all the while her true plan is mentioned and hinted at, teased at and alluded to, but we don't get told straight away. Um, Sarah finally has enough of Jareth and his, his whittling and all of that, and she doesn't still really ultimately trust him. And she's saying, you know, she still doesn't trust his motives, and and she abandons him. And he's like, she'll be back, and then he's taken by some trapdoor or some weird maze, like maybe a man made out of hedge comes out of the maze and takes him in or something. So Jareth is imprisoned. In a massive, like, birdcage. This is probably just past the halfway mark, a uh, massive birdcage, and ridiculed by Turner. Actually, this is probably just before the halfway mark. And Turner's like, Why take a look at Jareth, the fallen goblin king, and your savior, a little girl not even halfway through the maze. See her stumble and fall, Jareth. See her fail and witness your own end. There's but nothing for her here, but the certainty of lifetimes to wander, yet never find, to seek but never see, to walk and twist, to run and spin. Your girl Sarah is a prisoner in this maze of mine, and a prisoner she shall always be. And Sarah, you know, of course, carries on meeting new folk on her journey. One is a former resident of the Goblin City, who was a child when she was there but is now like this ancient old creature sort of carved out of the mountain or something. And he helps her. She meets a massive hand puppet with, that can fold itself. Yeah, but, but you know, hand in you know, commas. Yeah, but this puppet can fold itself inside out, like one of those old, you know what I mean? When you have these hand puppets, really old school, and you turn them inside out. Like for example, you have red riding hood and you fold it inside out and it's the wolf or something. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this, but it's like life-size and it has two personalities one sweet and one gruff, but you know, both are actually good and they both help her on her quest. Um, and also, by the way, maybe it's in the third act, so a little bit of a spoiler, but we learn the, the truth of what the Empress is actually up to. She's gonna take more babies. In fact, she's gonna take all the babies from Earth. And the Empress is like, no Ma, pretty selections that only leads to bitter disappointment. If one simple babe can cause such disquiet, why? What would all the babes provide? This land, these realms, they will sing with the cries of a million, million tiny voices. Their songs shall be my legacy, their lamentations my ultimate victory." And we also find out what happened to Ludo and Didymus of Hoggle. We learn that like Sarah, uh, they, they thought that Sarah had abandoned them. Um, And we learn that Sarah's quote unquote growing up was having her grow in the wrong way, moving away from these childish delights. Um, So we we got back to them later, but this is actually a real return to Oz wannabe because it is in the future. It's also a bit of a Prince Caspian wannabe. It's the same universe, but it's far in that future. And also we meet new friends as we go along, but the old ones are sort of like they pop up in, not cameos, but in, in sort of smaller but vital roles. Um, so as they go, Sarah and so forth, Turner from her kingdom sees the, um, their progress and laughs at the futility and the empress um, you know, is goading Jareth and creeps going on about it. And she says, has the mighty Jareth fallen so far and landed so low as to beg the help of a human girl and once so jaded at that? Why what revelries we have? Light the fuse, send the spies. This is this one escapade that can only lead to pain, angst and death. Let's see them to their doom with raucous abandon. Let their screams of torment light our ways, the galactic mirth and her court, gnash and gibber in excitement. And she sends, of course, spies and traitors to trick and mislead and trap, um, you know, and stop service progress. (laughs) <laughs> Another Muppet friend Sarah meets is a disgraced jester who was once expelled from the Empress's court for causing disorganization and anarchy and he's kind of like this old sort of like faded hero, uh, but he faces pain he faced uh, well pain of death by the Empress's curse. Should he ever speak a joke or breathe a witticism again? And according to him, this is because he was just so funny causing chaos in the kingdom that he was banished. And Sarah is doubtful to his boast because every time he says something to her, which is trying to be humorous, they're pretty bad and she's not impressed. And he's saying awful puns and shit. And so, yeah, but his claims is like, I must never tell a joke again or the Empress's curse will kill me. Um, so, really nice. I mean, it's all spoilers, of course, but by the end, of course, they do make it to the, uh, to the, the, to the temple. Um, and so for this character, by the end, by way of distraction to help Sarah and her friends breach the Empress's temple, he bravely stands atop a parapet, clears his throat, and tells a tentative joke. You know, like I say, I say, I say, what did the Irishman say, or something. And so amazingly, it gets some mild laughs and titters from the assembled, like soldiers loitering around. And he leans into it with renewed confidence, launching into a full stand-up set uh, atop the turret walls before the assembled army of the empress. And his jokes are indeed terrible, awful dad puns, but the guards, soldiers, and uh, beasts, and cretins, and muppets are falling over themselves. They're crying (laughs) and howling. And it's a bit of a twist, because it turns out he was funny, uh, just (laughs) to a certain spectrum. And Sarah, as she sneaks past, is like, I guess he found his audience. So the soldiers laughed themselves off the battlements or into each other, crashing with little horses and shit and slapping each other on the back so hard they fall over, roll around in hysterics, causing anarchy. Uh, So once Sarah and her friends have reached the walls of the inner sanctum, Sarah is reunited now with Hoggle, Ludo and Sir who have all been made like scullery maids and chimney sweeps and wall builders for the empress. So now friends old and new work together using all their individual skills, the beat off the army, defeat the magic, the curses and the traps, invade the Empress's inner lair. But Turner is ready. Spring is a trap, getting the advantage over Sarah, cutting her off from everyone else, and she's like, "Poor foolish child. You thought because you beat my landscape of labyrinths, made it all the way here, and confronted me face to face, you would actually stand a chance? No, 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 child. The maze was a game. The riddles were for fun. But now you test me, and your whole world will come undone. And she's using magic and smoke and mirrors against Sarah, and she's winning. Meanwhile, Jareth is in his cage, and and Hoggle comes in. like, oh God. I never thought I'd see the day. He's like, ah, shut up. Uh, But Hoggle frees him, who has been, you know, he's been serving as, like, handmaiden to the empress, and he's wearing, like, a scullery-made ship. And it turns out, perhaps, that she was keeping Hoggle close because he actually is the greatest threat of all. Uh, Hoggle has the lover of a human. He has the friendship of a warrior. He has the skills of a master and the heart of a hero. He knows what love is. He frees Jareth and unites all the other factions of the kingdoms, so Didymus just kicks some serious ass. Jareth and the Empress then now have a massive singing duel because what else are we doing here? It's Bowie versus Turner and the voices and ballads clash in a barrage of fireworks and 80s fizz. Pretty fucking epic. (laughs) But at the end of all that, the Empress bests Jareth and she laughs and says, this was always inevitable, you deluded creature. How could you, a failed king, ever hope to defeat me, the true celestial power of the nine universes? And Jareth says, the plan, O queen, was not to defeat you. You've said it yourself countless times, didn't you? I was never much more than a simple distraction, but I'll tell you what, as distractions go, I'm still the best there is. And Turner reacts and hisses, but too late. Uh, Sarah and her allies have all banded together. Not just the group, but she's gathered, but everyone they've met. Everyone, the family of little goose heads connected to one massive goat body, the mammoth old woman head sitting on top of a sculpted hedge goat, the worm with legs and two huge thumbs, the cocky rabbit, the angry tree carving, the cloud who couldn't float, all these, plus many from the original, the old wise man with the bird hat, the cannibal headhunters, even the old trash pile lady, they all have interacted with Sarah and are all the better for it. Their team, Sarah, and her ingenuity, her refusal to give up, her strength, putting one foot in front of the other, no matter what, it all inspired the kingdoms to unite, the realms to come together, to fight and to dance as one once again. And the final confrontation now is between uh, Sarah and the Empress in her kingdom as the walls have come crashing down around them and Sarah um, says magic words. She spares the Empress. Basically they're standing, Turner is leveling all of her power on her And, and Sarah says the one thing she needs to do and it's this one act of kindness that's needed to undo all the evil work. She forgives the Empress and the network of lies and the government of fear crumble under the power of simple virtue and selfless compassion. And the Empress fools, and the fortress turns to green sand. And Sarah escapes as it all collapses around her. She slides down this mountainous sandbank as nasty muppets get swallowed up, not killed, but making like rah and gah noises as they're covered and they're enveloped. And Sarah has found forgiveness is the greatest strength there is. And she forgives her father for apparently not trusting her as a young adult to make her own choices. And you know we're all learning every day. We never stop, nor should we. Making mistakes is what humans do. The trick is to learn, to grow, to move on and up and away. And she, uh, she forgives Jareth and finally she forgives herself. And Sarah has returned to reality now. She bids farewell to the new, Kingdoms all come together, says goodbye to her friends, and she steps through the cave entrance, emerging in the toilet stall of her college, freaking out a student who is in the middle of graffitiing a mirror. And she's like, what are you doing? And she's like, calling my dad. And Sarah has returned to reality with a new sense of confidence and strength and resilience. And Sarah's like, if life wasn't a struggle, we'd never fight. If it was exactly what we wanted it to be, we'd never strive or learn or grow. The struggle isn't perfect, but nothing is. To carry on, that's true perfection. And to forgive, that's being human. So Jareth returns to his kingdom to rebuild with the goblins and everyone else, forming a new kingdom of tolerance, peace and unity. And Jareth is like, we shall be the king and queens who serve, the slaves and servants who rule, the masters of ourselves, the singers, the dancers, the magic bearers and the spell weavers. We are the ones who dance now, Sarah, and all thanks to you. And the film ends with Sarah striding down a busy street uh, in our, reality with clarity and destiny in her eyes. And the last shot, we have a long high shot with Sarah walking away and then a beat. And we see following in Sarah's wake, her friends, everyone following, singing, dancing and forever having her back. And far away in his kingdom, watching in his, one of his glass balls, Jareth watches and laughs, not with evil intent, but joy for he too has been forgiven and learned the power of such things. And he sees his kingdom slowly grow around him and he sits back on his throne and he laughs some more and we cut to the credits and it's the end."
0: Yeah. And
1: uh, the tagline, remember the magic, it's time to dance.
0: Nice. I love it, Sheppy. Man alive. That's really cool. I love it. Tina Turner's a stroke of genius. And um, (laughs) the whole bloody thing is lovely, really lovely. Absolutely appropriate lessons learned and threads pulled and cheesy 80s speeches and 80s (laughs) and and everything. Amazing, Sheppy. That makes me very happy.
1: 80s speeches got me through school.
0: Uh, Thank you Jimmy, a pleasure, uh, lovely Oh good, oh my god
1: well, Thank you, thank you sir I
0: always hate that we have to follow you my friend But uh, you know this is just not on that level But it's okay, we'll just freaking We'll just roll in and have some fun I'm
1: fucking, uh, you, you've already Tickled my fancy gizzard Quite something special So I'm <laughs> I am all over this Please <laughs> let, let's get right to the juice
0: Well I'm going to tell you Mine's called Labyrinth 2 Straight, just that's it nice um, and then uh directed by brian henson as i said 2008 is when. oh interesting very sweet spot year for reasons that will become apparent as we go through i'm not going to give you my full cast i'm going to let them be reveals as they happen but i'll tell you Connolly's back as sarah bowley's as jareth and then we've got i've got frank oz is going to specifically play a new little creature called gimbal nice a new goblin called gimbal um, but Hoggle Ludo, they're all back, and then we have two specific castings that I'll let you know as we go. Um, so the open, Labyrinth Two, I don't have a pre cred. I love your pre cred, um, I. But it's just it's like a twinkly Labyrinth Two, or whatever, and then we go to a a smoky sort of boggy marsh thing, and um, and we see uh, Connolly two thousand and eight Connolly so a, a a woman, you know, and um, walking through Coast the sort of yeah, post-hulk <laughs> um, walking through the marsh and just kind of you know just looking around a little bit she walks. there's a log big log in the marsh and she walks up to it and there's a big large ogre type monster i've said here looks a little bit like ludo but sort of a, a version of ludo um, and then it's sitting on a log looking a bit dejected and she just says how's it going frank and the monster takes its head off, and it's just a, yeah. um, oh. and it's just a guy. And he goes, "Yeah, I need to yeah. wake up to adjust this thing." You know, it's gonna, it's gonna like really get too hot in here, anyway. No. and see they're on stage in a large auditorium, and Jennifer has grown up to be a theatre producer oh. and really pulled the thread in her imagination and all of that stuff. And um, and uh, and so she's she's sort of that, that's her set for the big opening that's happening. That evening. I'm
1: so happy for her
0: yeah <laughs> it's taken a long time and uh and anyway she uh, but outside this is in new york and outside it's uh it's raining and um and she she walks she sort of walks out of the the set and you know to maybe a dressing room or something and and it's raining it's the window she looks out the window at the rain and we transition from that window in the rain to another rainy window and um we have uh, a gentleman looking out and up at the Goblin Castle, um, spiky hair, etc. One thing we both did very similarly. Oh, you could I love assume it that this was—you could assume this was Bowie. Um, we have got, you know, gothic in silhouettes and uh, and spiky hair, and we hear the first shaky voice bars I put, and I haven't got as hard as you have on the songs, which was very impressive, by the way. <laughs> but uh, but I'll, I'll I'll give it my best shot. But basically, the first shaky voice buzz say, uh, Rain pattering on the pain of my heart, brain wishing it could go back to the start. It's time to get my independence when there's only one who can finish mine. And then a goblin with wonky googly eyes and a huge furry mustache pokes his head into the frame and says, Sentence. <laughs> 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 And the Jareth-esque character punches the <laughs> goblin. The goblin flies, <laughs> flashes, and we just hear him off-screen saying, thank you, sire. <laughs> and, um, and basically, uh, the, the, the goblin says, the goblin prince, as it is, oh, says, uh, you're welcome, Gimbal. And um, we see the full face of this guy, and this is actually Gareth, the brother of Jareth. And um, this is pay, played by Jermaine Clement, Sheppy. Oh, amazing. So this is in the peak of Concord. This is just Concord. It's just like exploded a little bit at the Edinburgh Festival and stuff. So it's really getting in early on the Clement, but it's kind of a sweet spot for my other character casting as well. So I've gone with him. I was thinking as nice. well, like... I'm going to pause here and just say a few things that flew around his ideas, Sheppy for me. Like, one was that I... I was going to go CGI Bowie now and then have him do some time, like go to Earth time traveling and be Harry Styles or something like, trying to be back in time? Right. You know, Like I don't know. And then, then I was thinking like Jermaine Clement has got some real Bowie sort of energy sometimes in some of the Concourse songs. So I thought it was quite nice to kind of have him nice. in there, not playing the Goblin King, but playing the Goblin King's brother. Um, so anyway, uh, we have him standing at his rainy window, and and he's basically talking to his goblin, uh, Gimbal, and he's saying what to do to break this wretched boredom, get back on, and he needs to get back to get back at my brother who's banished me from the castle and the kingdom, and um, and basically Gimbal says, well, word is that there was a human that certainly caught his fancy. Um, we cut to Sarah. And um, and she's waiting at, at a restaurant, and um, and the, the 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 waitress comes up to her, you know it's classic. She's waiting as for a date or whatever you know with her with her uh, her little glass of water or whatever. And the waitress says, "You're waiting for a date?" And she goes, "No, no, I'm waiting for my brother." And uh, and anyway, her brother Toby arrives late, and the brother is uh, played by Will Ferrell.
1: <laughs> oh, amazing!
0: Now, technically speaking, Sheffy, Will Ferrell is a couple of years older than um than Jennifer Connelly, um, so it doesn't really work. But what's interesting about right now is Will Ferrell, I looked at this, he's still quite early in his feral days and he could have a slightly, you know, he could be baby faced enough still to just about get away with it. We're only just north of old school here, so I feel like it, I feel that we could get some fair election here it'd be all right it'd be all right i know it doesn't quite work but that's all right um,
1: yeah so uh i love it i know i'm just so happy to see
0: phil yeah me too i can't believe i've never cast him before so it's very 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 happy um anyway he's late to see her he's like in full suit he's a bit of a trader now um, and, and he is going to, I mean, spoiler alert, his whole thing is he's a dick now and he's going to learn not to be a dick, you know, but um, but he's, he's a bit klutzy as he arrives at the restaurant too, unless it was feral, for God's sake, you know, Umbrella gets stuck in the door or something, you know, and, um, and anyway, the gist of some of the, the conversation here between the two is like, I'm sorry I'm late, Sarah, you know, you know, I'm actually so proud of you finally getting this Broadway break. You always told the best stories, you know, what was it, Hogback? She was Hoggle. And he goes, and Scrabble? She goes, Ludo. Do you want? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you like the dad puns? Oh, I'm loving that. <laughs> I'm all in on your jester. Um, but- <laughs> and Sarah is saying like, to him, do you wonder why neither of us really settled down and had a family? Do you think it has to do with dad? You know, and all this. But anyway, the server comes back to them. And and during this, this is just a silly little moment I've never seen before. It's probably been done before, but just in case it occurred to me, so um, this is like the dick move at a restaurant that I hadn't seen before, Sheppy. But basically, Feral calls his assistant when the server arrives to take their order, and um, and and he says like to Sarah, just that Alice looked at the menu ahead of time for me, and he hands the phone to the waitress, and, <laughs> and the waitress takes the order down like steak, medium rare. Pepper sauce. And feral goes, Excuse me, excuse me. And takes the phone back. And he goes, Mushroom sauce, Alice, mushroom sauce. How many times? <laughs> you know when he goes, Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> And he goes, God. And he hands the phone back to the waitress who waits with me. And he's about to write down the mushroom sauce. And then, um, and then basically another waiter arrives and says, I'll take it from here. And it's actually Jermaine Clement, looking more like the Jermaine Clement we know with black hair and stuff, you know and uh and just sort of says mushroom sauce for the gentleman and like starts writing it down and he goes and you're, you're sarah i don't know if we ever got her surname so i haven't put her surname down you're sarah so and so you know i'm a huge fan please allow us to serve you this from our cellar on the house and he hands her a bottle of wine and um, sarah takes a sip of this wine and then suddenly starts to grow a little drowsy collapses <laughs> and um in the restaurant, and obviously, was like, Oh my God, you know. And uh, and Gareth, Jermaine Clement, removes uh, a, a silver dish from, you know, uh, a, a little trolley or something nearby, and a labyrinthy bubble comes out of it. And he holds Pharaoh's uh. hand and pops the bubble, and flash, he's riding on a, I put a horse with a camel neck. I, don't know, I, I haven't <laughs> really gone much into like a, a you know, much imagination, to honest, but you know, he's riding a horse through a camel neck. Through the outer labyrinth, and um, and Sarah is unconscious over the over this camel horse, and um, and he arrives at his <laughs> lair, and he says, Gimbal, get word to my brother. This should get his attention." And um, and anyway, we cut back to the real world in a bit of commas, and Toby. Beryl is talking to a policeman in an NYPD reception saying, I'm telling you, she got drugged by this guy. And I think I'm the fumes because I think she popped. I don't know what's happened. He <laughs> there, and he's having a meltdown in the NYPD reception. Um, and as he does this in the background, a ridiculous looking character with basically Ludo's body shape, hoggles head and a sort of big raincoat wrapped around it ridiculously big raincoat kind of shuffles into the precinct and like then very unsubtly sort of motions for toby to come outside and um and, um, and toby <laughs> follows them like you know he just sort of feels like he's on a hallucinatory trip of some sort and um and Hoggle just says sagely Toby and Pharaoh's like, "What the hell is going on?" Like that. (laughs) Your sister is not here anymore. And then Pharaoh's like, "What are you talking about?" So like these sort of says that in a bit of a spin. I feel like you know he's in this sort of alleyway in New York, and then um a little almost Terminator esque, you know, a little bit of like the 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 litter starts picking up, and Bowie appears in the alleyway, enigmatic AF is what I put. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: and just says she's in the labyrinth and, uh, and he clocks oh,
1: the fucking trailer isn't it <laughs>
0: <laughs> and he clocks Feral and uh, says to him Toby it's been a long time and he looks him up and down and just says what a pity there's <laughs> so much potential <laughs> he touches Feral's shoulder and Toby <laughs> gets a flash and in that flash he goes to the upside down stairs room where he was you know the baby uh-huh. and uh, and, and, and then we cut back to Feral, and he sort of just staggers back a little bit like that. And he's like, Who the hell are you? And, that, and Hoggle jumps off Ludo's shoulders and uh, says, He's the Goblin King. And the huge coat falls off Ludo. And Feral says, What the hell are you? <laughs> <laughs> and Ludo just shrugs of shrugs. And Gareth says, "Toby, we don't have much time. My brother has your sister, and we're the only ones that can stop him." And uh, and Peral's like, "You need my help," because he I need your blood. And Bowie touches Peral's oh. shoulder again, and a montage of the first film, baby moments with the goblins, and I've got the amazing baby launch and catch, you know, <laughs> the class, as you mentioned as well, and uh, and I even said like, <laughs> "There's room for a funny." goblin shanghai noon-esque moment here i almost feel like you could do like a um you could do a montage of like bits of the first film but also kind of feral spinning around it and like exploring it like, that. And, like and as he comes around at one point it's like just the goblin head like you know it's just there and, it goes, <laughs> ah, and, like that, and he goes <laughs> part of the whole flashback thing anyway and then we put <laughs> that and uh, and Toby says, So you have superpowers like that. Uh, and Hoggle says, Toby, we can find her without her, without his help. And, uh, and, uh, and Toby says, See, so you're the goblin king. Do you think you could still throw me into the air? And Jared says, Not now, Toby. And, uh, and Hoggle says, Don't trust him, Toby. And um and Jared says, Well, how would you intend to stop my brother, Hoggle? And Hoggle says, We stopped you, didn't we? And Jareth sort of in a moment, and I haven't, it doesn't really make sense, but just narratively it needs, to, so it needs a bit of work this moment. But Jareth just uh, having been insulted and probably maybe if I could pull some of your thread, Sheppy, might have lost some of his power and his luster anyway. He leaves in a huff and a puff at that point. And, um, and Toby says, okay, you know, this is all very weird. And Hoggle's like, come on, Toby, you have to save Sarah. And Pharaoh does a look at Hoggle. And I look at Ludo, who's peeing against the lamppost like a doggy. (laughs) And then he looks at his phone and he goes, you know, I've got to be in Long Island for a very big meeting tomorrow. Does does this labyrinth have Wi-Fi? But anyway, we cut to Gareth and Sarah. They're at a long uh, dining table, Batman style. And then a musical (laughs) with Grimble kicks in. And, um, and all I put here is like when you're with a goblin you'd best get a goblin and there's this huge <laughs> spread of like food on the table and um, <laughs> and Gimbal sort of uh, scuttles off at the end of the musical number and um, and Gareth Jermaine Clement says you know my brother should be here any moment and Sarah is in full fairy tale ball gown obviously she's furious and not joining in with the merriment and she's chained to the table reasonably Lucy. it's not like too big but she's got a, a manacle to the table and um and and gareth is trying to make friends with her and he's like i'm sorry about the wide i just didn't know how else to you know all my life i've been in his shadow and i just wanted to impress him he loves you i think and um, and sarah slightly stirs at that but um and, and uh and he says and sarah says do you have any salt for that and gimbal sort of um doesn't reply you know he gives it a gimbal and gimbal doesn't reply and and so uh gareth says okay please allow me gareth walks over to sarah to, to give her some salt and um sarah takes her fork jams it into um gareth's hand and um, flips the table and makes a getaway um so she manages to unmanage herself i don't know somehow and she's out into the labyrinth and I've put here. I really haven't gone into the labyrinthy moments, Shefie. But imagine some awesomeness. And um, I've put Ooh. maybe a couple of re-cynical moments. So, which is to say, she takes a stone, a sharp one, and scratches an arrow. Then waits for the goblin to turn it, and then gives it an a half and like a few other bits and pieces. which could be nice. <laughs> and, at the first one. Um, and she's sort of running through the labyrinth, effectively. And we bet Gareth, he's licking his wounds furious that he let her get the best of, best of him. And Gimbal's helping him bandage. And, um, and then we, uh, <laughs> we, he says, Gimbal, go find them, go find them. And uh, and then we cut to Feral, Hoggle, and Ludo on their own quest into the labyrinth to try and rescue Sarah. And, uh, <laughs> and Feral is like, check out this place. And Hoggle's like, hurry up, we've got to stick together was like, that's oh, amazing. And he sort of gets a little bit lost in the amazingness of it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and also maybe even looking for some phone reception as well. And of course, immediately gets lost. As maybe a funny altercation with a Muppet. I haven't put that in lucky, just You just imagine Ferrell doing some funny stuff there. <laughs> and then essentially, um, as he's doing that, um, Gimbal finds Ferrell, uh, Toby the brother, and uh, and says, you must be Sarah's brother. And Ferrell's like, you know my sister, you know where she is? And he goes, yes, I know where she is, follow me. And um, meanwhile, Jareth Bowie turns up at Gareth's place and says, so brother, you have Sarah. And, uh, and Jareth, you know, suddenly frightened because he doesn't have Sarah. Uh, says, oh, oh, yes, yes, she, she's resting. And Jareth says, resting. And he goes, yes, she's very tired. And Jareth says, might I see her? and um and anyway there's a long sort of interplay here and i've said this is shadows of our worst 40 towers episode <laughs> and um and basically um it gets to the point of high tension where jareth has to reveal sarah's bedroom but of course we the audience think she won't be in there but gimbal has set feral toby up like a sibyl in the 40 <laughs> With a wig in the shadows and a, and a bit of a spell to send him to sleep okay? And basically, um, I, I wouldn't, I don't know how to do this yet, but some kind of ridiculous Red Riding Hood type situation, you know, with the, um, my, what uh, what, a, what? an amazing Adam's apple you have. <laughs> but anyway, um, and he, he, there's a bit of a tease anyway, and uh, and. Uh, and and I think he gets to the point where he's about to say, I might pop by in the morning, then, Jareth. And he says, that would be lovely. Jareth says, that would be lovely. Jareth says, that would be lovely. And, um, and, and then I've put here, like, Jareth might say, well, it would be lovely to just take a lock of her hair or something equally weird, is what I've put. And then we play out the Red Riding Hood, and then what a big Adam's apple Sarah has grown. And the reveal that parallel is definitely there. That's the cliffhanger <laughs> for that scene. Then we come back to Hoggle and Ludo. Like, where's this Toby? Jesus, he's so useless. Um, and I put Sarah still looking for a way out with some labyrinthy coolnesses. She bumps into Hoggle and Ludo. They explain they've lost her brother, and um, and they need to, to get him back. And they need to look for re- get reinforcements. And Sarah says, "How about Didymus?" And uh, they both look sagely at each other. Hoggle and Ludo, and Hoggle says he's not ready. And then they come back and um and we've got jareth and gareth now scheming and uh and basically suggesting that they should keep toby as bait and um and and gareth and gareth says you know what do we do now and gareth says she'll come back she'll come back um and uh, and then gareth moves on to say and i led into this a bit too shall we dance like that and uh <laughs> and then basically um gareth says before we do any of that, can you just confirm to me that this, this gesture will reinstate me to Goblin Prince and permit me entry to the castle on weekends and the first Tuesday of the month for the Goblin's Antique Market? And, uh, <laughs> and Gareth, Gareth says, yes, 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 but let's dance. And as he says it, the Bowie, let's dance. <laughs> it's a little of echoes as well. And Bowie does the fourth wall breaker here for <laughs> the camera. And um, <laughs> That, <laughs> the, the dancing's so lame, let's just sing like that. But anyway, we, we have this. I put here the movie show stopping scene, Sheppy, which is dance magic dance reprise versus um, Gareth's version, which is dance tragic dance, which is <laughs> sort of this sort of monster mashup of the two where, um, you know, Jareth wants to dance, uh, Gareth doesn't want to dance. But I put, through the power of infectious energy, we bring not just um, Jermaine and Gareth into the moves, but also Feral and Toby into a trifecta of dancing and happiness around <laughs> this little mini-cuttle. So the three of them are <laughs> dancing at the end of the scene, and then we cut to um, a scene with Hoggle, Ludo, Sarah, um, going to Didymus to convince him to help them to rescue Toby, I've done not, nothing with this scene, Sheppy, but I think the energy and the vibe are kind of Anchorman Two esque, where they go to they go to convince Ron, to that because he's lying to come back. You know, I don't know if you remember that. And Ron yeah, the nuts and bolts, <laughs> and Brick picks up one of the bolts and says, "You have to give me your recipe." Um, but uh, the, the 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 energy here, with Diddy is true to that. Like, he's been a really um, you know, uh, wet foxy. he's like, really, I couldn't possibly, I couldn't possibly, and this, I haven't thought of it yet, but something Sarah says, which is a, oh, why didn't you say so earlier? And then he's back to Sheppy with the ruler going, hiya! <laughs> yeah. And um, anyway, of course, the, the gang go to the lair, but, uh, to, to um, Gareth's lair, and um, there's a big battle outside the lair of the leopard, which is then cut short by um, Gareth, uh, sorry, Jareth, Um, I've been getting a wee bit confused between my cheese and my cheese. But but, (laughs) it's cut short by Bowie coming out with a stop, stop, stop. And uh, just saying, Sarah, it's been so boring without you. And um, Sarah's like, you have to move on. You have to get out of my life. You have to let me go and um and toby is now standing there but basically in kind of goblin princey type gear and has been hanging with the boys and there's so much comic potential to pull there where like he's just really (laughs) related into the life and sarah's like come (laughs) on toby let's go like that and toby's like you know sarah i think i I might want to stay with these guys a bit i mean I've learned so much. I've become a, a better human being and all this. Like the, and the goblin at this point has got Toby's phone and he's pickpocketed it. And he goes, you see, I don't even care that that little guy got my phone like that. And the goblin eats his phone and does a big burp like that. And he goes, I really don't. I don't care like that. And then he goes, then he does a little, but I'm going to need that SIM card like that. And, just... <laughs> and then... Um, and then Sarah just says, Toby, if you stay with them, you're going to need to become a goblin. a goblin." And Farrah's uh, and like, oh, okay. So that. And he's like, basically, and essentially, Sheppy, what we get to is this newfound order of acceptance is the way everyone's happy, happy. I don't even know how I get there, but I get there. And then there's this ridiculous moment where Toby's saying goodbye, an emotional goodbye to Gareth. And he just says, oh, this is... You're pulling Dirty Run Scoundrels. But I'm so proud of it, because it only came to me last night. It's just like, Gareth, I'm sorry about your tights. If I'd known how flimsy they were, I definitely would have clipped my toenails first. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just put some magic chicanery involving Sarah and Bowie letting go of one another. and then um, And then I put opening night, and all the labyrinths, including Gimbal, are, uh, are in the audience, all nodding heads, like the end of a Muppets show where they put the big play on. Everyone's happy, um, but Bowie isn't there. But when Sarah goes back to her, her dressing room, there's the whole um, thing of flowers there, which are, are probably from Jareth, but it's enigmatic, you know. And that's mm. the end of that labyrinth.
1: Oh, God, man, that's amazing. Um, first of all, amazing. Second of all, all the Will Ferrell stuff is A A grade Ferrell, like <laughs> absolutely spot on. That restaurant scene could be could live in any Will Ferrell with the with the waitress and the phone. That's genius.
0: <laughs> I'm so glad because I thought I thought that must have been done before, but I don't know where it's been done. Yeah, but that's nice. Yeah, I I, I don't really think I've was... ever
1: seen that. That's I've...
0: great. I felt the most more intimidated in some ways than I did around the curb, or you know, in terms of standing on the shoulders of giants. I ha- did just did not have the mental attitude to come up with riddles or bits or bobs. Yeah. For this, or even like, and and I you, you didn't necessarily go off on one on that either. But it's more your your magic stuff and what you infused with the labyrinthy stuff was beautiful. And um, but I uh, I didn't even do that. If you know what I mean, I just wanted the chunky like bits that would complement what you could assume would be some wonderful yes. little gimmicks, you know, around it. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah, no, well, that's it, exactly. You know, they have great fight. He says something cool. Uh, all of that is, is absolutely wonderful. I'm all <laughs> for that sort of thing, absolutely. And um, the whole relationship with, with Sarah and her, her you know, I, I, just, I think I just really like Sarah. So everything in her life, in real life and in that world as well, just how she handles herself, is really great. Um, yeah, she, I'm a very, big, big she really
0: man. accepts it quickly, doesn't she, and just gets on with yeah. it. It's wicked.
1: Yes. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Which is great. By the way, it's just now occurred to me, she did a pure Requiem for a Dream, stabbing the guy with the fork. Um, that's, that's, that's pure. Please look
0: <laughs> <didn't think> that.
1: <laughs>
0: God, um, that's a brutal film. Oh, my God. Oh, anyway. <laughs> so,
1: so, so it was great, and all of the the muppety bits, all of the pure Muppety bits and the looks and the the reactions and the and your your new muppety dude is amazing Gimbal, um yeah, yeah, all of that was pitch perfect uh, I, I would watch the shit out of that. Oh yeah, the other thing I wanted to say is, but I'll need the sim I'll need the sim card. that's genius, that was brilliant. Um, all of that uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. What a treat.
0: Thanks, yes. That's really sweet, man. Appreciate that.
1: Well, if I can't say then, so the, the very, very, very basic idea that I didn't do was because you could easily, if you did do a sequel now or a reboot or something, you would try, you know, the logical thing would have Jennifer Connolly playing the jealous role, essentially. He You're going to do that. Um, and I thought, one direction you could have is have labyrinth and have it with like a totally new person, maybe a young boy, but I think it works better with a young girl, traditionally was Dorothy, and all of that. But going in, meeting new people, meeting maybe meeting Hoggle, having the adventure, hearing about the Goblin Queen, and then not only then the reveal that it is Jennifer Connolly, but it is Sarah, and she has at some point gone back and become corrupted and not necessarily evil, but she loves, you know, she doesn't want to face reality. Maybe there's some underlying dark shit, like the father died, you know, and, and now she's living there. Um, but it's, yeah, and so like, there's a twist at like, the end of Act One, perhaps, that it's Sarah is the, the Goblin Queen. So that would be interesting. So then, that's obviously yeah. something totally different.
0: Yeah, I love it. They are doing it, Sheppy. I think they are, like, in pre-production on a sequel. Right. So. Right, Jones yeah. is quite heavily involved as well. Which
1: oh, great! Well, yeah. wonderful. Well, that makes me happy. There's so many good, you know, great potential. So now I'm all for it. Were you ever, by the way, a fan of um, the Dark Crystal?
0: I have never seen that, Shep's. Isn't that ridiculous? Mm. Never seen it. I don't
1: know if that's totally. I mean, I saw it back in the day, and I tried to watch it when I was again. It's. I did watch it like when I was like about 22 or something, 23. Like, I I fully really expected to love it and I didn't um, so it would be interesting now to see I haven't seen it since then so I would be interested but I did watch the Dark Crystal miniseries um, which is on Netflix and it was absolutely amazing absolutely amazing wow so, yeah. yeah just like really good uh, Game you... of Thrones wishes it could be oh, good. it's fucking geez. epic yeah it's fucking good so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So There's a sort of sort of sideways shout-out.
0: That's amazing. Do you need to watch the movie to watch the TV show?
1: Well, no, because I didn't watch the movie. For one thing, it's a prequel, like it's a thousand years before. Oh, um, I'm sure, it's a, and I didn't watch it, you know. Um, I didn't watch the movie. So. Yeah.
0: Nice, man. Well, that's a bloody, that's a tantalising Reco right there. Um.
1: Yeah, yeah, basically stuff. So. <laughs> Well, well, Jimmy, so that's all wonderful. I'm very happy and I like life. Uh, so I guess the only thing left is to ask since it's your choice next, what are we uh, having installed the next installment? installment, installment, installment?
0: <laughs> well, Sheppy, I am going to suggest something here that has also been suggested by one of our listeners. So um, I want to give well, a shout it. out to uh, Jason Barr from Kent, who's emailed us. Um, he's said that his favourite Bond is Connery. I should probably say um, he has given us two requests, and uh, I want to lean into one of them. Um, but the first he gave us, which we may do in the future, and I think we probably alluded to in our, you know, one of our bubble episodes, as as having a very tantalising ending but uh but the the thing from 1982 is his, one of his suggestions but uh i'm actually going to go with the other one that he suggested which weirdly and there's something in the energy sheps of of the world and the universe because you have bloody mentioned this movie on this pod uh, today which is amazing but i'd like a sequel to 1996 is the rock as would jason Barr, Sheppy. so um that is gonna be the, um, the homework <laughs> for us. That
1: is absolutely wonderful. Thank you, Jason. And yeah, fantastic. Um, I'm all for it. Uh, I always wanted to make a sequel to Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> so okay. um, yeah, no, really. your blood. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid so. It's like a terrible, terrible curse. Um, brilliant, no, wonderful, The Rock, love it. Um, and I, I love the rock. That, that's that's very
0: very exciting. Cracking ships. Now, how the bloody hell do we sign this off? I've, I've oh. it. You normally say that to me that I'm the one left a bit gobsmacked, then you save the day. But the problem with me saying that to you and then you being gobsmacked is I've got <laughs> nothing to save the day. So I don't know what to do about that.
1: It's tricky. It is tricky. <laughs> um, I don't know where we can go, you're, you're speaking in riddles.
0: And baby said dance, magic, dance dance magic dance magic dance magic dance. <laughs>